if you go to see a physical therapist, they're going to do manipulations of your joints and your muscles. You know, they're kind of working on the hardware. What if you could work on the software? Okay, we're going to find out more about that on today's episode of the Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body. You, I like to say starting feet first, but now we're going to be talking about the whole damn body. So yeah, whatever. But we also break down the propaganda, the mythology, the frankly lies you've been told about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body and to run, work, play, uh, do yoga, do CrossFit to work out, whatever it is you like to do, and to do it enjoyably, efficiently, effectively, did I say enjoyably? I know I did. It's a trick question. Because look, if you're not having fun, you're not going to keep it up. So find something to do that you like to do. I'm Stephen Sashin, CEO, co-founder of Zero Shoes and the host of the Movement Movement podcast, which we call it that because that was almost a sentence, because we're creating a movement about natural movement, letting your body do what it's made to do naturally. And when I say we, that involves everyone watching and listening. It doesn't take any effort. You'll find out in a second. In fact, all you have to do, go to our website, jointhemovementmovement.com. There's nothing you need to do to join. You can subscribe to get uh, updates about new episodes and you can find all the previous episodes and you can find out where you can find us on social media um, and how you can engage with us there. So it just is, if you want to help the movement part of this, like, share, give us a thumbs up, give us a great review. If you want to be part of the tribe, just subscribe. You know the gist. Okay, let's have some fun. Garrett, do me a favor. Tell people who the hell you are and what you're doing here. Happy to do that, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm Garrett Saltpeter, the founder of NewFit, and I believe that the most powerful and transformative way to help people recover from pain and injury is to work directly with the nervous system. And I feel very fortunate to have found the sort of Venn diagram where my interests overlap. My background's in engineering and neuroscience, and also, I've, like you, I've been an athlete. I've played ice hockey mostly growing up and in college. And I got into this field, you know, because of a few different experiences. One is uh, so, something that happened to me when I was playing college hockey. I got injured. You know, I was supposed to have surgery to repair some torn ligaments. And I met a doctor who was doing functional neurology and using older versions of direct current as opposed to alternating current, this kind of niche specialty within the electrical technology realm. And working with him, uh, you know, Neurologic functional neurology. We're looking at not just the the tissue damage, but looking at what um, what the neurological response was and how the nervous system was or was not supporting healing, both locally and globally. And then using this direct current technology, I saw firsthand how it helped me heal. And long story short, I avoided surgery, and I was excited as as an athlete. But as a as a pre engineering student, as a physics major, I was just just beside myself with joy to find something that actually made sense scientifically from first principles, sort of like how you describe the obvious kind of duh reasons why you'd want to try out minimalist shoes, right? So to find something that made sense like that, that's what really got me excited. And that's what what really instilled with me with this, this sense of being called to share this work uh, with as many people as I could. And that's now 17 years ago. And during that time, I finally figured out what I wanted, wanted to do when I grew up. And uh uh, launched the the newbie device, which stands for neurobioelectric. Uh, launched that about six years ago. So uh, that gave me a lot to start with, and I'm trying to think of where I want to begin. Um, so to be uh, actually, let me start with this. You and I met at some event. I don't even remember which one. Um, could you know some trade showy something? And I've had a number of shoulder issues for years because I'm a former All American gymnast, and I don't know one gymnast who hasn't escaped without shoulder problems. And you hooked me up to your electrical device, which we will describe in a bit, and had me go through some things that were, um, let's say, awkward or difficult at best. And we will describe what that means as well. But after just a very short treatment, which again, we're at a trade show. So it's like, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, get people in and out to experience it. Um, there was a demonstrable and significant change in the range of motion that I had and the pain that I had had. So I, and, and so I knew there was a there there. That's why we're on this call. So even about the movement movement, what we're talking about is about what you're doing. Again, we'll get into more specifically about that in a sec. That actually facilitates movement when you have some sort of injury or other restriction, et cetera. So that was, that's part one. Part two, um, I want you to dive in a little bit and let's kind of do the history of electrical current things and healing. The one thing that the two things that I know and have experienced one is that um, I'll do the experience first is that 
Uh, a friend of mine, when I was in high school, he had a chainsaw accident and cut his forearm pretty badly. And while he was trying to recover, they gave him a electro stim device to keep the nerves below the where he had cut towards his hand functioning so that um, while the nerves healed, they were still actually engaged. Otherwise, the nerves and the musculature was going to just uh, atrophy. And when he wasn't using this device, me and his other close friend, we were playing with it. So we would, um, you know, put it on your bicep and act and, and activate it. And your arm becomes an amazing catapult. Um, and if you put it on your face when so, and then, well, if you put it on someone else's face while they're talking and then you activate it, like their whole face shifts a couple inches to, you know, the right or left and they can't talk properly, which was hysterically fun. And then when I get to college, and I'm in biology and they go, Hey, we're going to dissect a frog hamstring and show that you can make the muscle contract by adding electricity. I'm going, screw that. And I'm attaching electrodes to people's faces. And, uh, the, the TAs were not happy with that, but they were entertained. So anyway, that's one thing that I know that will lead us into what you're doing. The second thing is I know that for a long time, people have been using electricity and magnetic uh, fields to help with uh, bone repair. So those are the two things that I know. Can you then dive in again, uh, like I, or like I was asking a moment ago, to kind of the history of using electricity as part of a healing modality and then lead that into you know the newbie and what you're doing? Yes. Well, first of all, I'm disappointed that we, I was never in your lab class in college because I think that would have been a lot of fun. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I think to start this, it probably is worth talking about that experience that we had at the trade show with your shoulder. And then we can, that'll kind of create the context for why some of this matters. And there's a couple of interesting points about that. When you have an injury or experience trauma like that, there's, of course, sometimes tissue damage and, and uh, things that need to heal. But a lot of the reason that we experience pain and limitation is not as not about the original injury as much as it is how we respond to it, the, the neurological response to injury and trauma. And that involves a whole suite of protective patterns, including creating tension in some muscles to guard and brace the body. It involves shutting down other muscles to limit movement. It involves pain. Pain is an active signal created by the brain in order to tell you to do something or, or more likely to stop doing something, right? Don't use this area. Don't do that movement, et cetera. And it's at least partially, therefore, a software problem. And what we want to be able to do is find where the brain and nervous system are imposing those patterns on the body in order to be able to correct them or be able to optimize them so that we can restore movement within the, you know, the realm of what's responsible and safe if there is any sort of tissue damage. So that, that, that of course is factored in, you know, from the beginning, but that is a really interesting path because it's a lot different than what other people are taking. I want to pause there because I, because I really want to highlight this because it's something that seems a little counterintuitive for most people that, um, especially when you're healing, but even when you just get into any sort of motor pattern, and I'm going to highlight a, one that's relevant for runners in a sec. Um, you know, what's going on is mostly your brain telling your body what you can and can't do. Now, I don't know about mostly, but it's often your brain telling your body what you can and can't do. And this shows up actually in endurance athletes as well, where there's uh, the theory of this um, from Tim Noakes is, you know, there's a thing called the central governor that's a part of your brain that's keeping you from doing something stupid, essentially, from overexerting in a way where your tendons could pull so hard on your joints or bones that they could break the bone or, you know, snap a joint. And so I see this often, you know, where we will develop a habit and your brain goes, oh, okay, that's what we're doing now. Okay, cool. And then you think you can't do more than that because you do experience some sort of pain when you try, but it's not true. I mean, one of the funny, the ways that I see this and this is relevant for runners. I see runners in my neighborhood and I live in a neighborhood with a lot of really good runners who are midfoot strike, perfect form, but they're in big, thick, high heeled shoes. And they'll say, well, I can't use minimal shoes because it's hurting my Achilles. It's like, Hold on, hold on. You've just trained yourself not to use your Achilles fully, not to let it stretch fully with that high-heeled shoe. Your Achilles is totally fine. In fact, if you stand barefoot, are you having a problem? They go, no. I go, yeah. So you you taught your brain that when you're running, you can't use your Achilles fully. And you could unteach your brain that. And this is the principle behind, um, for, I've mentioned it on the podcast a couple of times, Feldenkrais work, which is a bodywork style where basically – 
there's a whole bunch of really cool technique techniques to fake your brain into remembering that you have more movement possibilities than it remembers that you have. And so, um, I, I, again, I know this can sound crazy because we do experience these limitations as if they are purely hardware, purely physical, but so much of it is literally just your brain getting acclimatized to something so that it thinks that is, you know, those are the edges, no more, no less, and tells you so with pain coming from it, not from the musculature. Did I get that? Yeah, that's that's a very true, very profound. Uh, just a few different points of connection here. One is I have sometimes in conversation described our work as electric Feldenkrais because that, as I think, I'm so glad you brought up Moshe Feldenkrais and his work because that is exactly what you know he's trying to do is find where these habits, these deeply ingrained habits, you know, are imposed as patterns on the body. And their limitations, you know, and, and and being able to work through those, it doesn't create new capacity. It allows the individual to tap into existing capacity that they already have. They're just blocking themselves from being able to express it. And that plays into what you're talking about with Dr. Noakes and this notion of a central governor. You know, he talks about fatigue actually being a governor that the brain imposes because our brains are trying to get us to do less, right? Like you talked about, don't, don't pull muscles too hard. So we don't pull tendons off the bone, right? Of course, that's, that's a, that's a safety mechanism. It's important. We don't want to override that, but it's often set way too conservatively. And so it weakens us. And likewise, our brain doesn't want us to expend too much energy because it thinks there might be a famine tomorrow. Think about the, you know, evolutionarily, we, you know, we, we came of age in this time where famines were common, right? And we're not necessarily fully adapted to this modern life, you know, this modern world in which we live. So these patterns are imposed. And a lot of times the first stage of rehabilitation or, or, or training or, you know, any, any of these goals that people have, a lot of times the first stage is not building new capacity, but it's just recalibrating these limitations so that we can use more of what we already have. It's, it's like there's a governor, you know, to, just to borrow that governor metaphor, uh, you know, if, if a car is capable of going 155 miles an hour, but there's a governor that limits it to 90, you know, you, it could go a lot faster, but it's just limited by that, essentially by that, by that software. Once you change that, all of a sudden you can get you know, same car, you can get to 155 miles an hour instead of 90. Yeah. And I would never buy that car. So in fact, I took my car, which is a Subaru BRZ, and, you know, I threw a supercharger in it just to make sure it could get a little more than, you know, what they say in the book. So, all right. So, so now let's, so we've talked about, you know, a piece of the software component, but let's, um, is this the appropriate time to move into the, the history of electricity and bodies and neurology? Yes, it is. And I think it's just important because that establishes the the why. So we now know okay, the nervous system is important. How we can interact with the nervous system via technology becomes important. And this is where some of those distinctions between alternating current and direct current become really meaningful. And where where some of the history now, I think in context will be more interesting. So when we have alternating current devices, the signal goes back and forth, positive, negative, positive, negative, and it causes muscles to contract, actually to, to co-contract and fight each other. So back to the car metaphor, it would be like if you were driving your car, hitting the throttle and the brake pedal at the same time, even with your Subaru turbocharger, you're still not going to be going very fast because you're, some of that energy is just wasted overcoming the resistance of the brake pedal, right? So there's limitations there. Also the nervous system, our nervous systems work naturally on direct current. And so when you use these alternating current devices, which just, you know, for reference is virtually everything that's out there, these TENS units, Russian stim, interferential, uh, FES, NMES, any anything that you know people have generally experienced, the, the you know generally popular brands of electrical modalities are typically alternating current because of the the history that we'll get into. But there's these limitations, and when we use direct current, we're able to bypass a lot of that protective co-contraction, a lot of that stress response that happens, so we can speak more powerfully, more precisely, more directly to the nervous system to both find where these limiting patterns are being imposed. So we would do this, this scanning process like we did with your shoulder at the event. We'd actually take one of the electrodes and scan around on the body to find where those patterns are being imposed and then use the direct current to stimulate those areas, typically also with exercise. So we we accelerate that process of motor learning, but we would stimulate those areas in order to teach or recalibrate the nervous system to allow better function in those areas. So the direct current allows us to do that. And there's there's also benefits of direct current with these electric field gradients on tissue healing. But but in, in turn, to answer your question here about the, the history is interesting because some of these benefits of direct current 
were known back in the 1960s, 1970s. And the, you might wonder, well, okay, why, why is it, why, why are you telling me this is, this is new and different, right? It's been known for that long. Well, there was always, there was always this one kind of, you know, kind of important limiting factor with direct current, which is whenever you would turn it up high enough to create enough stimulus to drive adaptation within the, within the body, it would always sting and burn the skin because direct current, you get these ions build up and that increases resistance, which leads to heat dissipation, right? So you could, so you could burn and you know, the Soviets would, would literally, literally burn their athletes and they could do that for mother Russia, but we we're not doing that over here in the, in the Western world. Right. So, so it totally fell out of favor because of that limitation, except for a few niche use cases like microcurrent, some of these things that, you know, I mentioned I had experienced on my own injury you know, rehabilitation journey and things like that, but uh, it, it really fell out of favor. And so in that void came all these alternating current modalities because you could get them into the body without stinging and burning the skin. You just missed out on some of these other benefits in terms of how these electric fields can influence tissue healing and some of these more powerful effects on the nervous system and how they promote improved function. And that's why over the last several decades, all um, electrical modalities have have somewhat fallen out of favor. You know, the insurance reimbursements for using electrical modalities and physical therapy has either been dramatically reduced or has been eliminated, for example, because statistically speaking, scientifically, they've shown to not be able to do very much. And so there's there's a lot of limitations. And I think we are now showing that we're able to really overcome those limitations and move the field field forward by going back actually and bringing direct current and doing it in a way where, you know, as part of the special sauce here with, with our device, for example, is being able to find ways to get that direct current into the body without stinging and burning the skin. So we get the comfort of alternating current, but with the health and rehabilitation and functional benefits of direct current. So let's give people a flavor for how this would play out. Um, pick, you know, your injury or or dysfunction of choice, and describe what happens. Somebody walks in, and I mean, you 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 mentioned it, you know, in briefly about scanning and then applying the direct current in a particular way. But I want to get people to imagine it in their mind or imagine they're going through it. So um, walk someone through that, and I might stop you just in case I think you've skipped a step. Well, you mentioned a little bit about your shoulder. Let's go to the other side of the body. Let's talk about, you know, someone who just sprained or rolled an ankle. So we're in Texas, you know, we got a lot of high school and college football players that, you know, it's common, but, you know, someone out playing recreational basketball or, you know, falls off a curb and rolls their ankle, the same, same rules apply. So, so there's a very common use case that we see all the time where, you know, an athlete will, will come in, they might be on crutches or at the very least be, be limping because they're really favoring the side with the freshly rolled and sprained ankle and they will they'll come in and oftentimes we'll go through this process where we sometimes would would map and find these areas or sometimes we'd have them actually for the first treatment sometimes put their foot in a bucket of warm water and put one of the electrodes in there so that in it'll be a little more global a little less precise but we'll send the current through that entire foot and ankle because there's so many nerve uh, pathways right. in there. It's so neurologically dense. Wait, all right. Hold on. My phone just rang. My apologies. So hold on. I want to back up for one second. So um, the first thing you're trying to do, explain a bit what you're trying to find when you're doing the scanning thing um, and do it, and talk about the global version, like foot in a bucket of water versus the more specific version. And also what the patient's experience is that you're you know using for confirmation that you've found what you're looking for. It's like, what are you looking for? What's the patient experiencing? How do you confirm that you know this is this has happened? Right, right. So the patient is hobbling in and they're experiencing this version of these protective patterns that we that we mentioned a little bit right. earlier, where some muscles are are hyper tense to guard and splint and brace. Others are shut down and weak because that's the brain's way of saying don't move that area. There's also pain mixed in as part of that whole suite of protective patterns, which again is the brain's way of saying, you know, don't use the, if this hurts, right, you're not going to use that area. It motivates you to use the other leg, to not load that area, to not move it, et cetera. So, so the person walks in experiencing all of that. And our question essentially looking at this person is, okay, how much of this issue is a hardware issue where, you know, there's, it's a, it's a true tear of that tissue or something like that. And how much of it is a software issue where it's not as much about the 
the physical injury as it is about that neurological response and those limitations being imposed. And so, you know, the, you know, clinicians, the physical therapists, chiropractors, athletic trainers are going to use their their skill set to determine and make sure they think it's safe. You know, they're going to screen for obvious fractures or something that's, you know, requires immediate attention, stuff like that. Right. So screen for that first, but then, you know, most of the time we're able to able to continue treatment. And so through the, through either the mapping and, and placing electrodes more precisely or doing the foot bath, what we're trying to do is, is target these areas where the, brain and nervous system are imposing those patterns on the body and then stimulate them, create this sensory feedback. So instead of just causing muscles to contract like that typical alternating current technology, we're going to be sending this, this sensory signal, this input in. And what it's, if, if you think about what it's doing, this is, this is the, the process of neuromuscular reeducation here, true neuromuscular reeducation, reeducating or teaching, reteaching, teaching the, the, the nervous system how to better control the muscles. So we're sending these, these signals that, that essentially mimic movement. So the brain, the person's brain is telling them not to move that foot and ankle, right? Not to load it. We're going to send the signal the same signals that that would happen as if they're moving it. And so at first their brain is going to say, whoa, 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 Steven, don't move your ankle, right? Don't, don't remember we're, we're in the state where we're not doing that. And it's going to be uncomfortable. Remember pain is the brain's response to perceived threat. So we want to turn it up to the point where it actually does hurt a little bit. So this of course is, is intentional. We're going to do it in a way that's safe and we know we're not creating any further damage, but by going outside the comfort zone there, we know we're eliciting that response and giving the person an opportunity to recalibrate. And so we do a few movements, typically not even weight-bearing movements, just you know, moving the foot around a little bit, just doing little ankle circles or pointing and flexing the foot, et cetera. And by going through those movements, we give the brain a chance to recalibrate. The brain can evaluate this and say, okay, we're either, you know, things are damaged and we're not going to let off that. We're not going to ease off on those protective patterns. Or what we very commonly see is the brain sees that and says, oh, okay, we actually can do these movements safely. We actually, actually can allow a little bit more. And it incrementally starts to lift off on those governors. And a, a majority of the time, we'll see people over the, you know, be able to take more on the current, be able to increase the range of motion a little bit. And after 10 or 20 minutes, they might get up and and walk normally, virtually pain free, and they're just they're you know astonished at the amount of change that they've made in that ten or twenty minutes. And it's you know of course nothing is healed, right? The ligaments haven't reattached in ten or twenty minutes. What's happened is they've changed that neurological response, and that helps us know that more of what they were experiencing was that functional response to injury. So it's a it's a little bit uncomfortable, but it's really it's kind of uh, validating for people when they see when they have that experience of, okay, yes, it, we turned it up. It was uncomfortable. But as I moved through it, the brain started to downregulate into them. It felt like it got easier to manage everything is sort of relaxed. And if you repeat that a few times, it becomes this very empowering realization of, yes, I can adapt. Okay. My body is responding. I see sort of see a light at the end of the tunnel in terms of the recovery from this particular injury. So a, thank you. That was really good. And B, I was going to interrupt you because I wanted to uh, slow the film down a little bit and give people a slightly more uh, granular visual sense of what's going on. So I'm going to describe my experience and, you know, feel free to chime in. So the first thing is that scanning to identify, you know, where there might be something that is, a, let's just for lack of a better term, I'm going to call it this little neurological glitch where your brain is doing some protective thing, for example. And when, what you're, what my experience when you're finding that is it's like, oh, that's a little electrical current, little electrical current as you move this uh, electrode around. And then you hit a spot where it's like, oh, geez, holy crap, holy crap. Um, and you go, okay, that's, that's a spot. And then you're going to take an electrode and place it in a different location, clearly so that you're going to try and be getting current moving through that area. Um, so far, so good. Yeah. Okay. And then you start turning up the current on that device. And what that's going to do, it's going to create this contraction that is undeniably not, let's just say not pleasant. It doesn't hurt, but it's definitely not pleasant. It's basically like, um, you know, if, if you've ever had a calf cramp, it's not that bad, but it's that similar flavor of like something's, you know, kind of cramping up. And then you would ask me, as you have in the past, to move, you know, get some range of motion, move through some spots, especially ones that have been historically uh, painful things where I couldn't really make that movement. And even just trying to do those movements, you know, move my arm in whatever way that is, 
I'm fighting against the contraction that the electrical current has created. And so to your point, that's where you're, you're sending signals back to the brain that are different than what it's been providing you. But so, but to be clear, it's like this phenomenon where, like you described for, you know, flexing and pointing your toes or, um, doing, doing circles with your, with your flexing your ankles or doing circles with your, your feet, for example, you know, you're going to find that there's certain places where it's like, you know, it's really hard to go through that. And then, but that's one of the places where, Maybe there's an injury, maybe it's just been protective. And you go through that a number of times, a number of different ways, maybe move the electrode a little bit to get a different angle. And then, you know, take everything off. And aside from the relief of, hey, you're not electrocuting me, um, which by the way, again, I don't, exp- I mean, it's, again, I when I say it's not pleasant, I'm, I'm, I'm cho- choosing that word somewhat specifically because um, I like it. Like, because there's something about when that's happening where it's not enjoyable, but it feels correct. There's something about it where it's like, ooh, that's a good thing. But I'm, it's like lifting weights. You know, those last couple of reps are really hard, but you know, that's where the money is. It, it's a similar kind of feeling here, um, just cognitively. And so anyway, so there's that kind of annoying thing of trying to find the initial spot and then the different thing where it's uh, not quite as localized, but you've got this contraction going on that you're moving through and against that's kind of waking up your brain a bit and and giving you some movement that maybe you haven't had for quite a while for all those governor reasons and then you stop everything current off that feels good and then suddenly like holy crap um i've got more motion than i thought i had before or motion that i had before that was painful um is is either reduced or eliminated i mean that was my experience do you want to add any color to that yeah i think that's a great way to describe it Uh, In terms of finding the spot, I think one other little bit of color I would add would be to say that it's it's somewhat similar to the feeling of if you're having body work done, getting you know massage or something like that, where if someone's working around and they find a trigger point, it's like so good. Exactly, yeah, it's clearly uncomfortable, but it's also it's productively uncomfortable is one of my favorite ways to say it. Like you know, there's something there that needs to be addressed, and even though it's unpleasant you know that it's worthwhile and you kind of want, want more of, you want to go through it because you know, yeah. there's a, you know, there's yes, yes, that hurts. Don't stop. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, so here's the, so I, I, I want to ask a number of questions. I don't even know where to begin. Let me start with this one. What are the kinds of things that you are um, typically treating or what are the kinds of things that we're, you know, I mean, that's one way of asking it. The other is what are the kinds of effects you're current, uh, you're typically seeing? So the effects are certainly related to reductions in pain, improvements in strength, range of motion. And, you know, in terms of the context and the, the types of conditions or situations in which people would, would seek out this sort of treatment would be, you know, immediately after an injury, like we talked about that, you know, acute recent ankle sprain or, or injury like that. Also chronic pain, post-surgical. And then there's a whole category of being able to work with with people who have experienced uh, stroke or spinal cord injury or have MS and where we're talking about not, not, you know, curing MS, for example, but talking about uh, helping them restore function through that process of neuromuscular reeducation to improve quality of life. And, you know, there are some people who over time have been able to get off of walkers or get out of wheelchairs and, and, you know, it takes, it takes a while, but really tap into the power of neuroplasticity to improve function. So there's a, there, you know, there's a, there's a, that, that, of course, that's a very broad range. I just shared this whole, whole range of all these different populations. And you might think like, how can you possibly be talking about, you know, elite athletes and, and MS patients in the same sentence? And the answer is that there's this common thread throughout all of those populations and specifically about the, the issues that they're dealing with. And that common thread is the nervous system. Um, are there, uh... Are there any contraindications any for anything where it's like you would say if somebody walked in the door or hobbled in the door or rolled in the door, you'd ask them something and go, uh, yeah, you're going to have to go next door and see somebody else. Uh, if someone has a, a pacemaker or is currently pregnant, um, stuff like that, um, you know, the, it's, it's those, so those sorts of things. You're suggesting that if somebody's pregnant um, and they got this treatment, it would not give their babies superpowers? <laughs> Well, we don't. No one's done the research yet to know. So until we until we find out, until we find out, we we don't do it. 
Yeah, I'm going to hold out that uh, this is how you create the next Spider-Man. Some very <laughs> so that's what I believe, and I'm sticking to it. Maybe instead of, instead of instead of shooting spider webs, he'd, he'd shoot electricity out of his finger. Oh, nice, <laughs> Electro Man. Uh, there was some there. There is some superhero that's got you know electrical something or other, but I can't remember who it is. To, to be clear, Newfit is is not recommending that. <laughs> well, I don't work for you, so I can say whatever the hell I want. So, um, so uh, all right. So, so, so the next question. I mean, you've been doing this for how long? Well, uh, you know, versions of this for about 18 years at this point. Now, here's, of course, the wacky question. Um, how many people have learned how to use your device and uh, and do this technique, if you will? I don't like to use this modality. That's a better way I want to say it. Or let me, sorry, I'm actually asking a different question. How come everyone doesn't know this and have this experience? Well, when I mentioned I've been doing this for you know seventeen or eighteen years, the first eight to ten of that was using older versions of tech, of the technology. I also went back for additional graduate school in, in neuroscience and kind of piecing together both the methodology and then continuing to see ways to improve upon the technology. And for a while, I was just kind of waiting for someone else to do it, and finally, finally, you know, decided, okay, I, I'm going to do it. And so. You know, then it was a couple of years of work. Uh, Wait, hold on. Did, 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 did you do what Lane and I did? I refer to as uttering the five dangerous entrepreneurial words. How hard could this be? <laughs> basically, basically, yeah. yes. And uh, the answer is it was a lot harder than I thought. And I'm well, glad, I didn't, glad I didn't know going into it. Or I, I don't know if oh, I would. Oh, no, no. Look, dude, when, when we had some guys uh, about seven months in who had all been in footwear for 35 years say that, you know, hey, we would do this with you because we believe in you and what you're doing. But we've been in footwear so long that we're not stupid enough to start a shoe company. And Lena and I both said, yeah, we know we're hyper optimistic and naive, but that's the only way anything ever gets started. So, you know, that's just that that's just not uncommon. And backing up to your point of I was waiting for someone else to do it. There's nothing, nothing I like more than when I have an idea for a product or a business and someone else does it before I can, because then I can just buy it. And I don't have to go through all those entrepreneurial problems and hassles and craziness. So, um, so uh, good on you that you got to the point of going, ah, I better do it myself. I can, I can relate to that. So, um, so then, you know, and we ended up launching the device finally about six years ago. Mm. And, you know, it's sort of, it's sort of in this interesting point in terms of, you know, how many people are using it? Well, you know, there's several thousand people certified in it among physical therapists, chiropractors, athletic trainers, other professionals. And then there's also, you know, a lot of people listening to this have likely never heard of us before, right? So so it's this interesting place where I, I liken it to us trying to climb up Mount Everest and we've made it up a little bit of the way so we can look back and appreciate the view and appreciate how far we've come. But it's also very humbling to look up and say, oh shit, we've got, we got a long way left to go, right? Because I think this can help so many more people. I know this can help so many more people. And, you know, it's part of my job, but I feel as a, a real responsibility to help get the word out. And that's why I'm grateful to be on here talking to you, you know, to share this message with people. But I, th I think it's in this, this interesting state where, you know, there's somewhere between three and 4,000 people who have been certified in the use of the newbie so far. And, you know, for them, many of them tell us that it's changed the way they practice. Even physical therapists who are in practice 20 or 30 years and are extremely skilled and knowledgeable, they tell us that this is either the missing link or this gives them a new direction. This helps them train their staff or this helps them get more enthusiasm and faster results with their patients. And, you know, it changes the way they practice for the better. So it's, it's so exciting and motivating, you know, to hear that. And, and then there's also people who I think can and will have that experience but they're less of that kind of early adopter mindset and they want to wait for the research. They need to wait until it's closer to becoming the gold standard before they'll even look at it. And there's this, this, you know, filtering effect of the time, amount of time that it takes for, for techniques or technology to go from, you know, basic research into random randomized controlled trials into daily practice. And so it takes time to filter through there. And we have uh, just published, you know, our, first three or four legitimate scientific articles showing the validity of, of the newbie and the benefits in different use cases. And we've got another one that we just completed that's going to be published in the next several months from the time we're recording this, which I think is going to be a real game changer showing uh, nerve regeneration in neuropathy patients. Oh, wow. but, but in terms of the arc of, of this conversation here, I think that you know, in order to in order to get this in the hands of more people, part of it part of it is is our responsibility to meet people where they are and 
conduct those studies, both so that we can demonstrate, you know, the efficacy of the newbie. And then so we can learn how can it be better? Where does it, where does it work great? Where might it not work as well? You know, there's a lot of stuff that we don't, we certainly don't know everything yet, but we're learning right along, right alongside people, but also being able to validate and, and meet people where they are uh, when they want to see that research, you know, we want to give it to them. We have a full-time PhD neuroscientist running our research program. Here's a weird question. Um, that's kind of related to this. I mean, first of all, in the physical therapy world, it always cracks me up when there's some product that's advertised uh, as an infomercial that is fundamentally looked at as a joke. Uh, I will mention to uh, the, the, my favorite being the shake weight, which um, Saturday Night Live did the best spoof commercial ever about how absurd this thing is. And now you go into physical therapy offices and they're everywhere. And before that, it was the body blade. It's like they're everywhere. You know, like five years after it's a joke infomercial product, suddenly every physical therapist is using it. So the latest, you know, one of the latest trends in physical or two of the latest trends in physical therapy uh, that have really caught on everywhere. One is dry needling. The other is cupping. And for people who don't know dry needling, it's uh, I'm going to I'm going to be rude for the just for the fun of it and call it dumb acupuncture, um, which is insulting to both acupuncture and dry needling, which was my intention um, just for the fun of. But that's but the gist of it is sticking needles in tight spots to get the muscles to contract um, basically more than they otherwise could until they've. The, the chemical thing that's making that happen stops happening and things can relax different than acupuncture, which is based on a whole other theory. Don't get into it. Let's not get into whether it's valid or not. Uh, the other one cupping um, is where the way it was done traditionally in traditional Chinese medicine, which uh, j- is just another way of saying uh, old Chinese people, again, just trying to be rude for the fun of it um, is they would take some uh, thing that would heat up air within a uh, just imagine a thick light bulb, just the glass part of the light bulb. They'd heat up the air in that light bulb and then they would uh, light bulb like shaped piece of glass then stick that on your body and it would create some suction, which of course pulls blood into that area because you basically are breaking the capillaries. And, um, and that, you know, that can do some things as well. Anyway, those two things have become really popular lately. And I'm not saying they're not efficacious. I'm not saying they don't work, but what I'm pointing out is somehow they became the thing that Every physical therapy clinic that, uh, that you'll ever find is doing one or both of those. How the hell did that happen? And I asked that obviously as a, you know, how can you, to the extent that that's replicable, how can you try to recreate that pattern, that thing that made that happen? That's a, that's a great question. I think it's a, I think they actually followed similar trajectories that, that, most or all products that gain widespread adoption do follow. And sometimes you know, there's different different stages of that that crossing the chasm, that product adoption curve, different stages. And sometimes you can accelerate or sometimes it takes longer, different things like that. But I think there's that that early adopter stage where there's people who just are willing to try it because the concept really lands with them. It kind of resonates with them or they feel it for themselves or they see someone experience it. And that that experience is enough for them to say like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to give this a shot. And then there's the then there's the early majority, then the late majority. Those people that need to really see it become the gold standard. And so for for dry needling, you know, um, there's the the kind of early adopter mindset. And then there's you know how how do you get how do you cross the chasm to get those other people involved? Well, it's a it's a blend of a couple of things. Some of it is you know those that next stage, that next group of people needs to hear it hear it from someone that they trust who's in that early adopter stage, uh, or they need to see the research, or they need to they need to hear it enough times where it starts to build this critical mass in their mind. And there's different things that you can do to accelerate that. I mean, if there's particularly influential and intelligent people talking about it, that can accelerate the rate at which that next phase of people is going to hear about it, or the amount of them that are open to it based on based on what they're hearing. And so, you know, where we've seen progress it, you know, it is some of that. Some of it is the research that we've done. Some of it is the very intelligent and influential people who are using our product and, and talking about it to other people. So we're seeing glimpses of that. Then, of course, the question is, as a business, how can we how can we accelerate that? And, you know, that's the question, of course, we're trying to answer right now, because we believe we have something that can help so many more people. And that's it's our responsibility. This is um, this is called a, this is a horrible, bad idea. Is there anything you could do? That would be creating a, a device that's sort of dumbed down that could be more of a um, uh, personal use thing. I mean, you know, infomercial friendly, if you will. 
that that's possible. We're actually we're looking at you know of course we're always trying to improve our our product. Uh, never want to be caught flat-footed or just you know we we know that you know especially with this day and age with technology advancing and things like that. So so right now we're looking at ways to miniaturize some of the components so that we can take our relatively large device and and potentially you know do just like you're describing make you know more personal use versions and stuff like that so you know it's at the time we're sitting here it's certainly further down the road but we did have a breakthrough in terms of being able to miniaturize some of the key components that open up some of that there so yeah i think something like that could be a big part of the the future of our business and ways to make it make it more accessible and still even work with the the you know physical therapy clinics and their yeah. practices that that we've collaborated with so well because they could then provide it to their own patients and we can, we can work together to get it out there too. So I think there's, I think that's a, a good idea. Um, and something that you know, is definitely, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at as part of kind of part of our future plan and where we might go as a, as a company. Are there any, um, are there any issues about insurance covering this treatment? The, Treatments are so. There's a few different things for any any practitioners listening. They'll they'll know they'll you know likely have experienced what I alluded to earlier, where you know reimbursements for traditional electrical stimulation are have either gone away or have been so limited they're not even worth pursuing. But uh, these treatments, because they're active, there's a real methodology to it. It's not just put the pads on and leave someone there. So these are often billed when when clinicians choose to bill insurance when it's appropriate to do so. They bill them using codes like neuromuscular reeducation, therapeutic activities, sometimes manual therapy. We can hook up the electrodes to a to a glove and do some manual therapy there. So so billing where it's appropriate. And then some practices are able, you know, some practices are hybrid and they're out of network. And so they're they're charging cash to their patients. And for them, they really like having something that creates that that sense of value and enthusiasm. So people are are willing to invest. They're willing to pay out of pocket because they're real differentiating. Yeah, it's like if, if insurance is picking up the tab, it's a different thing than you putting your money down and committing to it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like a friend of mine is one of the guys who, I don't know, well, he didn't invent prolotherapy, um, but he's he's like the expert and taught almost everybody how to do prolotherapy, which for people who don't know, um, you it's if, the, if you know platelet-rich plasma therapy, PRP, uh, PRP is the mm, insurance coverable sometimes version of prolo where they're injecting, um, in, in the case of PRP, injecting platelets that they've spun out of your blood into ligaments and tendons, typically to initiate a healing response. The platelet part is possibly a little hand waving, um, but the thing that's doing the heavy lifting is this sort of selective uh, injury. And I asked my friend Tom, uh, so you know, what about the research on prolotherapy? You know, and he and he says, I don't need research. I said, why is that? He goes, well, because what I do is extremely painful and extremely expensive. And people come back over and over and tell their friends about it. <laughs> he said, that's all the research I need. So I was like, oh, point well taken. Um, the um, There was one other thing. Oh, so um, how often are, are people just anxious about the whole idea of electricity at all? I mean, how much are you are you affected with the, just what people have in their mind, pun intended, or um, appropriate metaphor intended, uh, with electrostim or electroshock therapy? Because that's what most people are familiar with when it comes to electricity in your body. So that definitely is a, a little sense of reservation for some people when they come in, but in in our experience, it's very easy to overcome that just by you know putting the the pads on someone, turning it up slowly, kind of letting letting them ease into it, and and feeling like okay, this is actually kind of pleasant, you know, especially at lower at lower power levels, and you know, explaining to them this is a medical device, you know, it, you know, for in our clinic, we can say we've literally treated thousands of people with this. Uh, and you know have a, an excellent safety record and all you know there's, there's different things that we can say but letting people kind of ease into it so that they can let their guard down because even if even if they understand intellectually that it won't hurt them they're yeah. still you know we talk about these these parts yeah. of the brain uh, these parts of the brain outside of conscious control that are limiting our movement creating pain you know those those parts of the brain can still be you know, alarm on in alarm mode on high alert thinking oh my gosh this is this is threatening right so so helping them letting them feel it, so that they can, that those parts of the brain even can can start to really understand that this isn't going to hurt them. And sometimes the first session is just about acclimating to the sensation, and you might not do as much 
work or maybe just a little more gentle and conservative in that first session and wait until wait to you know do a little bit more meaningful work or increase the power a little bit more in the second session until someone's kind of acclimated to the sensations. It is funny how your brain will um, have ideas about some phenomenon and then protect you from this imagined phenomenon. Um, I mean, the example that just popped in my mind, we live, uh, there's a trail right outside our backyard and there's a horse farm and they have an electric fence. Now I've touched an electric fence. Um, I can't, painful is not the right word. And I don't want to say shocking because uh, that's too on the nose, but it is like one of these, like, it's not what you expect it to be. And it really is this primal kind of, holy crap. Um, the, the joke is they have an electric fence and I come nowhere near it, even though I know it isn't turned on. <laughs> I mean, I'm like hyper aware and that, but I know that it's not doing anything, which is, which cracks me up. So um, is there anything we missed about just giving people a good introduction to what we're talking about and what you're doing. Well, that there's one thing just to call out there that that does speak to even though you know intellectually it's not turned on, you have that fear response from having yeah. touched that before, and that that speaks to how difficult it can be to to talk with rationally, you know, those subconscious parts of ourselves. And so there's a, there's I think there's a whole a whole lesson in there, you know, re- regarding psychology and helping people with trauma and stuff like that but but also yeah. how why work like that why why body-based work like what we're talking about here can be so useful because you can you know without language and rational thinking communicate more directly with some of these subconscious areas of brain and nervous system control so i just i think that that's a really powerful example i, I like that i may actually borrow that in conversation. <laughs> yeah. I can, tell, I can tell myself, I can tell myself the, the electric fence isn't turned on, but I still am like kind of yeah. sweating, like don't really want to touch it. No, it's funny. I mean, like you could show me that the battery is not connected and part of my brain is still going to go, ah, you know, I don't know. Um, it, it, it's a riot. And I think of myself as a rational person, but there are some of these things where, and, and I look, if I saw the battery was disconnected and people and someone else grabbed it, I'd be the first one to do it, but if I'm the, or the second one to do it. But if I'm the first one, it's like, maybe there's something that still has to discharge. Maybe there's, I mean, it's so fascinating. And of course we're dealing with a similar thing, which is just when people have any belief, getting people to unbelieve something, whether it's for an immediate, just for a moment and an immediate treatment or something more long-term, this is the challenge. I actually just got a, an email from Dan Lieberman, Dr. Lieberman from Harvard, who helped create the whole barefoot movement thing. And he has a couple of new papers and, and he said, you know, I'm just trying to bunch, uh, bust a bunch of myths. And I sent him a video back saying, yeah, that's not the way it's going to work. Because if people have a belief, you can't just tell them they're wrong and bust the myth. They're going to pick it apart and find some reason to hold on to what they still believe. Because that's what we do, us humans. So it's it, so this is what's fascinating to me. One of the things that's fascinating to me about what you're doing from a practical standpoint is just, again, what does it take to wake people up or introduce people or give people the experience of something unusual slash new that's demonstrably valuable because that's what we're both fundamentally doing. And it's, um, it, it, it's an intellectually interesting process, but for those of us running the businesses, you know, sometimes you want to beat your head against the wall. And, um, uh, and as my wife always says, this would be so interesting if it wasn't about us, <laughs> if we were just reading it in a book, it'd be really interesting. But the fact that we're having to deal with it, you know, it's a, that's a whole different game. That's right. So, the whole emotional, of course, yeah, you being a founder, I know we're on that same emotional roller coaster ride of, you know, something bad happens. And then we, we have we have those same subconscious traps. Our brains extrapolate out. Oh, my gosh, does this mean that we're in trouble and the business is failing? Does this mean? Oh, like- see, no, 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 no. That, that's why I have my wife. So <laughs> I don't do that. I'm always seeing what, you know, could be happening. That's all good. She's always seeing what's happening now and extrapolating to how it could be wrong, which is perfect. We're a great combo that way. Um, I mean, she says you have the fun job of thinking all the cool shit that could happen. And I have the, the difficult job of protecting ourselves from what uh, could also happen and also telling you we don't have the money to do what you want. So there, there is that. Um, but it is, yeah, it's, um, I, yeah, I don't do the, that that kind of wacky extrapolation for better or worse. It means that Lena does a lot of planning and she doesn't tell me about it because I'm just oblivious. I just show up and she tells me what to do. Um, when we take a vacation, she's done all the planning. I'm, I just go for the ride. It's a perfect division of responsibility there. Uh, I would agree with that. And, <laughs> I mean, again, she does, her job is way less fun than mine. 
but it but it's really important to have both of those things in play uh, otherwise it, it's a real mess because people do the opposite too they see things going well and they extrapolate and think oh it's just going to keep getting better it's like whoa uh, put the pull the, put the brakes on that one um this is not what you think it is so just because because kim kardashian uh, promoted your thing that doesn't mean you're going to have a business in two years and so that's a whole other story. Anyway, we don't need to talk about entrepreneurial angst. Um, most importantly, Garrett, if people want to find out about NewFit and uh, have someone treat them with a newbie, how will they find out more about you and then find someone where they can experience what we've been talking about for the last however many minutes? Two best places to do that would be our website, which is www.new.fit. That's N-E-U, like neurological, N-E-U dot F-I-T. Uh, and then also on social media, we're most active on Instagram. Our handle is at NewFitRFP for Rehab Fitness and Performance. And we're, you know, we're most active on there and interact with uh, direct messages and, and stuff like that. But uh, on our website, there's a link. If you click the four patients, there's a, a link to find a provider and it'll take you to a, a map or a, uh, you know, if you're on your computer, it'll be a map on your phone. It'll just be a little widget where you can search for people in your state or region. And there's, you know, many hundreds of locations listed on there and certainly more uh, by the, by the week. And there's also, you know, if there isn't anyone near you, you please reach out to our team. We can talk about ways to, you know, work remotely with us or, or, you know, different options like that. Um, That's very interesting. Um, there was some thought I had about that that fell out of my head. Um, oh, just the idea of what you're doing on Instagram. Um, I haven't looked at your Instagram, so that's going to be fun to take a look. And I imagine you're showing people getting treated and showing the before and after of that, et cetera, uh, as well as information about the device and the technology behind it. So um, am I incorrect about that? Trying to mix in a little bit of fun along the way too, oh, but yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> that's That's the part where we're creating, you know, the person who can shoot lightning bolts out of their hands. So <laughs> right. I, I think, look, frankly, that's going to be the thing that's going to sell this product. If once you get one baby who comes out shooting lightning bolts, it, it's all over. You, you got it made. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm aiming for. We're going to talk to our uh, FDA consultants about trying to set up a, set up a trial on that one. Once again, not my concern. So um, <laughs> first of all, for everyone listening and or watching, um, I, I'm, I'm frankly hoping you're not currently injured, but if you are definitely check out what Garrett's doing with new fit. And if you, and keep this in the back of your head for uh, when, and if something does happen, and if you're not going to remember new fit fit, um, just remember, Hey, it was on the podcast and you can um, go over it to www.jointhemovementmovementmovement and you'll join the movement movement.com. Jeez, man, I cannot think today. Uh, and you'll find the, this episode. So that's all you need is our reminders. Just uh, go check out our website. And when you're there, again, find the previous episodes, find the ways you can find us in social media, find the places that you can leave a review and a thumbs up and a like and a hit the bell icon on YouTube to get notified of when we have new episodes. And if you want to reach out and drop me an email with requests or questions or suggestions for people to have on the show. And as if you've listened to this before, you know, I'm dying to have a conversation with someone who thinks I have a case of cranial rectal reorientation syndrome. Uh, and if you're that person, that's cool. I want to hear about it. I'm open to the conversation. Uh, and if someone ever proves me wrong, I'm happy to adjust and find um, either something different or something new. I'm not, I'm more attached to the truth than I am to my opinions about things, um, which is um, I, I've been told by some of my friends, an annoying trait. So um, because anyway, that's a whole other story. Anyway, bottom line, you can drop me an email. Uh, just send me an email at move, M-O-V-E, at jointhemovementmovement.com. But most importantly, oh, actually, second most important, um, if you want the most comfortable pair of shoes that let your feet do its natural and let your body do what its job is. Uh, so when your feet do their job, your body can do its job. That was almost English in my head until it came out of my face. Uh, then go to zeroshoes.com and find we have casual and performance shoes, boots and sandals for everything you can think of that you might want to do. But the most important part, go out, have fun, and live life feet first.